It's a pleasure to have you with us. Could you share some context to when you first joined Google? Sure. I joined Google a little more than 13 years ago. And I actually joined Google at the time just as Google was acquiring YouTube. So my job was actually to help launch a distinct sales team in the Google world to sell advertising on YouTube. And it was called a display team at the time. As you know, folks may or may not recall, back then Google was selling almost exclusively search advertising, performance-based advertising. And this was the time that Google was diversifying its advertising platforms and products to include video and, um, and more display opportunities. So the team that I was involved with starting there was the team focused on video and display. You know, it, it, that was the time, you know, if you think back, not that we're going to, this is not necessarily meant to be a business history lesson, that analysts and, and folks in general were trying to figure out how could Google have spent so much money for YouTube at the time? Because it really hadn't been a well-monetized platform at all. It really wasn't well-organized. And now in hindsight, it was like a, it was a rounding error in terms of Google, you know, Google's fiscal position and the, the revenue that it's generated has been amazing. And it's also been a platform that has become, a, I don't want to call it a standard setter, but has really created the, uh, the uh, environment for so many new ways of content being created, distributed. And so that, that's how it, that's when I joined. Very shortly thereafter, Google decided that it did not want to have a distinct display team. So we became integrated into the larger sales teams. Google, you know, tends to rethink and reorganize and reimagine how sales teams should be organized every couple of years. So eventually we essentially became mainstreamed within the organization and not a YouTube standalone organization. Just on that point, Brian, around organizing sales teams, how has the thinking at Google evolved in structuring sales? Yeah, okay, that could be a whole hour. I think almost will. Okay. But the one thing has remained true always. And that is that the customer relationship is the primary focal point of any organization. And it's organized around industry segments or sectors so that a seller has a set list of clients and they are within a specific industry so that that seller learns the details and the nuance of an industry, whether it's financial services, travel, CPG, healthcare, where I spent a lot of time, you learn that. And then what has kind of, I don't want to say come and gone, but has gone through different iterations as Google has expanded its offering is what do partner teams look like? Are they built out around different ad products? So while I mentioned I started at Google to help launch a YouTube sales team, there wasn't a YouTube sales team, but now there's a person who represents Google at a client and has to be able to talk about search and talk about display and talk about programmatic and talk about video and talk about data analytics. And so how that gets organized in terms of partner teams has, that's what changes a fair amount in terms of what's the relationship between that person and the sales team, that person and the client. Are they attached more closely to the product team? Are they attached more to the sales team? That's gone through iterations. But the one thing that always remains constant is this core, what are called pods, this concept of a pod that is an expert in an industry and has a finite set of accounts that it knows. And that's always been true in the 13 years that I spent there. It was the surrounding support, partner, product-oriented, or service-oriented roles that, that kind of moved around during that time. 
And so can we run through like a, a 101 of display advertising and in terms of the core functions or different stages of the process between the demand side platforms and, and supply side platforms in terms of purchasing display ads? So, I mean, in terms of, per if you're a customer and you're purchasing display ads, you are largely going to purchase it through probably one of, well, one of two entities, but there's, there's, you can't dismiss the role of the agency in this conversation, right? Well, because it could be that the client, the, the end client actually has no idea how their display ads are purchased at all. And in some cases they don't, and I believe that that is to their detriment, okay? Because they actually, well, we'll get back to that in a second. But as we think about it, you know, the, the, the ads purchased, whether they're purchased directly by the direct client or end client or the agency can be purchased kind of in, I'll call it an aggregate across a very large network like a Google who has such enormous amount of inventory across such a wide array of sites, that's a simple, almost one-stop shopping opportunity. There's also the opportunity to purchase via kind of point players who are, who are display networks or display experts who will bring a perception of specialization in display to what they offer to the agency or the client. And in some cases, that expertise is very real where they've built you know, they've built proprietary technology to, to essentially provide a better mousetrap. In some cases, it's, it's really just human capital applied to the problem to dedicate people to optimize, to analysis and to optimization. Now, I'm going to try to portray a balanced point of view as an ex-Googler or also known as a Zoogler, I think, the X in front of Googler. Googlers are Googlers. Ex-Googlers or Zooglers. Are you familiar with the concept of the LumaScape and Luma Partners, the, um, the analysts or, or, or industry private bankers? Okay, so they basically, and, and you know, people who watch this could look up LumaScape if they don't know it already. But essentially, this investment bank built a map of the industry. Well, when I started in, 20, in 2007, there was no LumaScape because things were really simple, right? Then LumaScape created their first LumaScape map of the ad buying and ad, we'll call it the ad tech world in 2010, I believe it was. It was on a single page, we'll call it. I just checked recently, Will, and I think that Luma now creates and publishes 18 different maps to cover the industry. Okay, so back to the conversation. You've got display buying highly fragmented because you have all these point players who are representing probably segments of the available inventory on the universe and may, may or may not bring a proprietary component to it, either uh, technology or high level human capital applied to the problem. And so uh, the problem being making the uh, display investment work as best as it can. And the end client now with, in partnership with their agency has to figure out, okay, where do they get the best performance? Because for a long time, display was not held to the same performance standards that search would have been. Search was a performance-oriented ad buy, right? We're going to go from a click to some transaction. We're going to measure that, and we're going to know what our return on investment was. That, you know, display was not held to that same standard for the most part. It may have been held to a higher standard than other forms of media, but certainly not the same standard of search. So you could just get away with maybe 
buying across of several networks, having disjointed reporting functions, disjointed dashboards, and just hoping for the fact that you get some tonnage and you get your brand out in the front of a bunch of consumers that eventually would contribute to conversion through some other platform or through some other marketing act, advertising or marketing activity. Well, now as the technology has increased its capabilities and the display either the owners of the content or the managers of the ad tech can now apply many of the same performance measurements to display that could be to search. There's that accountability that didn't exist before. So with that accountability, the investment gets a large amount of scrutiny. So now the selection of a partner, either a network or a Google or whomever it is that you're partnering with becomes much more critical and the investment gets a lot more scrutiny. And honestly, well, I've seen with many clients at the end client who are working with either multiple display partners or multiple points between the purchase and the actual serving of an ad where more than 50% of their investment in their display dollars was not in working media. It was in commissions to various platforms along the path. So long answer to your question, we've had a highly fragmented world on both sides, on the, on the demand side and on the supply side, and that has created confusion for the buyer who's aware and probably inefficient investment for the unaware buyer. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a path forward where consistency consolidation seems to be what probably is required. And that's what a Google offers to a certain extent, right? Is, is this kind of consistency and consolidation by having enormous scale, but then being able to tie measurement of your search investment to, to measurement of your display investment and see how they work together, same with video, same with, you know, same with, and even going down the road into offline and how offline contributes to an eventual conversion. That was kind of a long answer, but hopefully I get to some of the points you were talking about. What is the rationale for the advertiser or the client, whether it's the agency or the end client, to use a different network? Is it, is it kind of just, not boycotting Google, but is it just they just don't want to give, put all their eggs in one basket effectively? That legitimately exists, Will. Okay, that, that legitimately exists. And it's not, I mean, I know that's not exactly where you want to use was boycott, but it's a concept of diversifying one's portfolio, right? It's essentially, uh, there's a, a business rationale which says I should not put all my eggs in one basket. Okay, I want to diversify my portfolio. People still buy from people at the end of the day, right? And so if Google comes in, you know, with a strict, comes in pitching math and science, which in large part it will, and I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory way because the math and science works and someone else comes in and says, yeah, Google's going to pitch you with that math and science, but we've got humans who are going to manage your campaign every day and we're going to be attached to you. You know, Google's, and, and this is grossly oversimplified, Will, but you know, Google could be, you know, could say with all their automa automation, it's kind of a set it and forget it world. But if we think, but our offering is going to be a dedicated account manager who works with you every day to understand your business and optimize on a daily basis. And that will work for a lot of people because they feel they want that attention. That'll be part of it as well. The third piece is agencies. If, whereas an agency is involved, they may have 
and, and I don't want to suggest collusion or anything inappropriate here, but they may be aligned with certain networks. So they, they, there, there are alignments that happen for business reasons, right? Maybe they've negotiated some sort of volume deal with the network that they can pass along to their clients. So there can be a number of reasons, which at the, in the eyes of the end client at face value could all seem very legitimate. And they're not experts on this. They're not experts on the technology. They don't know every logo on the Lumascape. They're either going to make a decision based on a relationship that they've built or on a third party, an agency that they've hired to make that decision for them. I do want to get into detail of, on, on agencies and that buying process a bit later on, but just taking a step back, how did the acquisition of DoubleClick change that industry structure in the ad, ad tech world, specifically for Google? Yeah, so it obviously gave... It's really interesting. You know, we talk about portfolio development. It gave Google capabilities in every place in the pipe. Not every, that wasn't the only place. You know, over time, almost every key point in the pipe has been either built or acquired by Google. So, I mentioned earlier, at every point between when an ad gets purchased to when an ad gets delivered to a consumer and its impact is measured, Google has technology for that now. So, it it was one of the single largest pieces in creating a fully threaded pipe for Google. It created an enormous amount of obviously pressure on other competitors to to get smarter faster. To it also created enough a lot of pressure. So a lot of competitors said, this is borderline monopolistic behavior. You know, what is Google's end game here? And how do you how do you as an advertiser want to be treated in that world? Like are you not just the um, you know diversify your portfolio, but do you know that if they own everything, are you actually getting the best efficiencies that you can in terms of what you pay in that scenario? So it created a couple of different scenarios that were really interesting. It also created some internal issues, right? Where we created essentially firewalls between the sellers, the double-click sellers, and the essentially the end ad sellers. Because there was a sense that in the marketplace, if those two bodies were connected to each other, we'd have, you know, essentially the ad sellers, the teams that I worked with, would have too much insight into the back office that did give us an unfair ad selling advantage. So there very much was a firewall created between the two organizations that I'm assuming still exists. I haven't been there for a few months, but it's very important to, to, you know, in order to have confidence at the agencies and confidence at the agencies in particular, that we were not, you know, rigging the deck in our behalf to, to make sure that ads performed better for our clients or that we knew more than we should know in terms of performance. That's an interesting dynamic. I mean, it seems like DoubleClick actually operates as on both sides, right? As, as a kind of, advertiser, servicer, and, and publisher, ad server as well. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And again, that's the, you know, that's the full pipe, right? Because it's one of the, one of the stops between, or, but the first stop in the, in the consumer experience is on a site other than Google, right? Is at, is at a publisher site where they're, seeing, where they're engaged in content and they're seeing that ad. And so there's absolutely that publisher relationship as well. Moving on to look at your role as industry director and, and selling ads, can you just provide some context around exactly the responsibilities you had as, as healthcare uh, industry director? Yes, I'd love to. So I was specifically um, the, the industry director for what we called health services for Google in the United States. And that meant uh, I managed a national team who represented our ads products primarily for large hospital systems the very large hospital systems, several of them Fortune 200 type organizations, uh, large health insurers, 
payers. Some of, a couple of those are among the larger, one of those is a Fortune 5 company in the United States, and then a select group of uh, consumer health products. So I, I managed a team of sellers who went into them and, and brought the entire array of Google ad products, and then a service team, uh, account services or account management teams primarily. And then earlier I described these uh, these partner teams, I had like dotted eye relationships to data analytics people and to the product experts who supported us. So for, it's, for every member of my team, there was another person. Like if I managed the team of 40 nationally, I actually on a day-to-day -day basis worked with 80 people because that's how many, we really had a well-funded support operation. So my role was, you know, obviously, okay, so at the most basic level, I was responsible for driving year-over-year -year growth of ad investments by our clients in Google, right? And, and Google has very ambitious growth goals. That was one. Number two, yeah, I was responsible for the growth of my, the, the personal and professional growth of my team. Google takes that very seriously. So while there's a lot of, of opportunity presented at scale by Google as a corporation to support the growth of employees. Part of my you know, everyday role and how I was measured for success was what I was doing to help create an environment in which people could feel safe, they could succeed, they could grow. Third piece was becoming an industry leader, right? There was an expectation that as an industry director, you would become an industry leader. You would, you would have a point of view that would be sought out by your customers. And I'll get back to that in just a second. But that what we were doing was what my job was not to go in and sell the next quarter's search program. My goal was to go in and to articulate what are the deep insights that we can observe and quantify and then put into a narrative that show how consumer behavior might be changing as it relates to interaction with your own healthcare. What does that mean to a provider of healthcare one year, two years, three years from now? I don't think it's very reasonable to think any further than that. Three years is probably even a stretch with the rapid evolution of, of technology and how people manage their lives every day. But take that story to the executive teams of, of our customer partner organizations and really create a, a, a relationship where they said, okay, they are challenging me to think differently about what the consumer experience is like, how consumers are, are, are take, how people are taking care of their health, and what that means for our business at a larger business level. Over the last couple of years in particular, Will, we took a, we had a really focused, rigorous effort on moving our, trying to move ourselves out of the kind of category of marketing or advertising vendors with our customers and into business partners with our customers. Everyone wants to do that, but we really gave this concerted effort to meet with the C-suite, that was my job, to get to understand what is their business objective. Now, historically, the, the, you know, if you think about digital advertising, the vendor talks to the customer about click rates and impressions. Those are not business measures or metrics, those are marketing metrics. What we wanted to do was go to the C-suite and say, okay, what is your business objective for 2019, 2020? And let's state it in very specific numbers and with specific time frames in exact language. So it's gonna be generally, okay, we wanna increase, increase profit by margin by X in 2020, or new patients by Y in 2020. And once we did that, we could then establish 
how the marketing activity laddered up to the achievement of that business objective. So this may be a little bit of a ramble, and I'm sorry if it is, Will, but the way my job was to tie all that together, right, was to say, okay, now that we've got those objectives, what kinds of strategies are we going to build to help them reach their objectives? Because we had such a portfolio to draw from. And if you think about healthcare in particular, healthcare, and I, and I say this with love, right? I mean, if, if someone in the industry sees this, and if someone, if I know in the industry sees this, sees this I say this with love, they're behind from a digital adoption perspective. It's, it's always been ironic to me because if you walk into a hospital, the world's greatest state-of-the-art technology is oftentimes being deployed to treat us. Yet if you walk down the hall or really into the basement to the marketing department, it's 2010 in many cases from a marketing perspective. They're not thinking the same from an innovation and technology standpoint to help their business. So I started the executive suite, the C-suite, to try to have this tops-down pressure mount that says Google has insights into consumers that we should be better deploying in the way that we market so that actually, and, and not just are they behind in terms of deployment, but healthcare historically hasn't thought about marketing as a um, profitable growth driver kind of thought about it as a necessary evil and their budgetary process. But if I could then show through measurability that ads and marketing, particularly digital ads and marketing, are actually a profitable growth driver, then then we've got, that's a C-suite. Now, you know, the CFO wants to talk to me about that. The COO wants to talk to me about that. Not the director. The director of marketing gets promoted if we succeed at that. But the CFO wants to hear about that. And it was, how do you elevate? So my job was to elevate the conversation. And it was to create a narrative. Earlier, I said the role was to be an industry leader. We hosted, you know, they're off, every industry has their conventions, their events. We started hosting healthcare events at Google, where we would bring them in and, and try to provide at a larger scale introduction to all these thoughts provided by third, are either third party partners or the early adopters to try to bring all of them along. I will say that in the area of healthcare, so a lot of it's not for profit. You know, a lot of these large hospital systems are not for profit and they have a more collegial relationship with each other. They're willing to share best practices, whereas in some categories, they won't share best practice because it's secret sauce. In this category, it's where, you know, the mission is much different. The mission is to keep people healthy. Let's walk for an example. So let's say that I'm, I'm a for-profit hospital or a device manufacturer. You come to me, I tell you I want to increase my revenue or patients by X amount. How do we get into the strategic discussion around which products to use? How, how to enterprise? And let's say I'm a Fortune 1000 company. Sure. Okay. So, again, could be a full hour, but we're going to do a quick version of this. Okay. If you've told me that you want to, and yeah, we'll, we'll make up an example, right? Uh, we'll say we're a hospital system, and what we want to do is in 2020, we want to take our top five service lines. I'm trying to make this too complicated. The service line is... Um, pediatrics, uh, neurosurgery, whatever it is. We want to take our top five service lines and we want to go from 80% of capacity bed usage to 90% of bed usage, which means we'll need this many more patients in each of those top five service lines, okay? So if we understand what those numbers are out of the blocks, we actually work with them to create first just an understanding of the math, right? Okay, that means that given current benchmarks and current success metrics, to get your next 2,000 orthopedic procedures in the next year, given current benchmarks, that's going to require a budgetary increase of X, okay? We've been able to build all of that using not just Google data, 
but third-party data. We use Google query data. You know, what's the what, how many how many queries are there around hip replacement, and are, how do they correspond to areas where that company has or that that enterprise has hospitals? That's one set of data. We'd also look at at um, the hospital or the system's own data about bed usage and some other kind of marketing conversion metrics. We'd also look at American Hospital Association data to look at competitive data against other systems because there's a competitive nature, even though, as I said, they're collegial. The reality is if you're in a place like Houston, Texas, there are at least five different hospital systems there all hoping to get that hip replacement. So we do the math for them because again, Will, interestingly enough, when I talked about healthcare being behind, they, they weren't doing this math for themselves. When we came in and did this math for them, they thought we were, you know, wizard ninjas, uh, you know, uh, from a future world. They hadn't done it because they, for a number of reasons, we can talk about that too in a moment if you want. So we do the math, right? Then once you do the math, we, we kind of look at the competitive and consumer landscape where they are. What is the role of television advertising and how will that then how will we then position digital advertising? What is the competitive spend for the competitors in this marketplace? What are the conversion rates for the different platforms that will be used and what it will cost to play in each place? So we would build essentially a plan from the bottoms up based on their numbers based on that. I will say quite frankly, because they were less sophisticated, that's a generalization, we would start with search. We would start with search because it's the most measurable, it's the most obvious, it's the most urgent and timely, right? You can see the results sooner. When we started to layer in video, when we started to layer in display, the results were going to be further down the line, and if they weren't... Um, either they weren't uh, believers or adopters yet, there's a higher likelihood they would want to see something in a month, not see it and, and say it doesn't work, rather than make an investment to learn and iterate. What's the barrier to the adoption of video or display versus search for advertisers? So part of it is what I just said. It's, it's that instant gratification component. You're not, you may or may not see the results right away, number one. Number two, it's the power of some existing media platforms, right? I mean, it's if they're already a television advertiser or a radio advertiser or a in hospitals, a out-of-home billboard advertiser, yes, it's hard to move away from something because any move might be seen as a gamble or a risk. Even though we'll be able, we would be able to say what we're gonna sh what we're gonna do with you, and we're gonna do it with you. We're gonna set some goals, we're gonna part with, partner with you to see if we reach these goals. If they don't reach them, or worse yet, if their same store or same facility results go down for that period of time, immediately put the blame on that. So there's risk aversion. Some industries are more risk averse than others. Healthcare, highly risk averse, right? And the fact of the matter is, everyone's always had to go to hospitals anyway, right? I mean, people get sick. Right. They'll be going less and less in the future based on our recent experience and the growth of telehealth. But people have always had to go to the doctor. So we know people are going to come to us no matter what. So why rock the boat? Right. Why do anything experimental when they always have to come to us anyway in this category? And there's a piece in healthcare that's particularly prevalent, which is this perception healthcare providers are more concerned with privacy than any other single industry segment. Okay. I mean, everyone's concerned with it. But when you think about a person's health records, or we can get back to this in just a second with around the idea of like remarketing for, dis for display ads, the care 
and the seriousness with which they place privacy and in brand image as it relates to advertising is paramount in healthcare. And so if they're going to go, you know, if they're going to develop a partnership with Google or Facebook or go down the list of other possible providers, there's this fear that, oh my goodness, you know, you're going to have data about my patients that you shouldn't have. And, and, and God forbid there's a, a security breach and I show up on the front page and the headlines how do you get them over that? Well, you hope you find somebody in the organization who actually has the faith. And it's not really just the faith. It's the understanding that actually the protection of that data is just as important to our survival as it is to yours. If the data that we have on consumers is abused or Google has on consumers is abused, we can't go sell to the next person either. Right? That's the whole, that is Google's whole business, right? Is, is yes, knowing an enormous amount about a consumer behavior, but also protecting it with great care and great security because if that leaks out or that's abused, then Google's business is fully, or a large part is fully compromised. So you bring them into that and then you have to walk before you run, right? And also assure them that, and, and there've been some major breakthroughs in some other areas that have helped us with this, but, um, Sure, that we don't want to see their data, right? Like, whereas with maybe a um, a travel client, like we'll connect to their CRM, right? So you can actually look at first party customer data and use that for better targeting. You'd never do that with a hospital system. If, if in fact they're even using a CRM, let's stay away from that, okay? Because that only bad things can happen. Even the idea that we could do that is a bad idea. It seems like we're still pretty early for Google in like in in shifting these. I mean, what is it, 50% of total advertising is digital? So I think that's like kind of like the, the long-term case for, for Google. I think that, yeah, eMarketer has said that next year is the first year that more than 50% of all um, ad dollars will be invested in digital, right? So there's still, you know, this industry still has significant growth upside, right? In, and, and for all of the platforms. Let's say I'm the advertiser then, and, and I, you know, you convinced me, I agreed to move part of my ad spend over to, to, to Google, what products do I typically use? Is it the marketing platform? You know, is it AdWords? You know, what, what, are, what, what exactly product do I use? So the products have essentially over time are being consolidated, right? So there's the, the kind of the, the ad platforms themselves, which are, pro, are not all consolidated yet, but your view of your search campaign your, and your display campaigns and your video campaigns are, you're, you're able to view those all in a single dashboard right now. Is that on DP360? Yes. And then you start to layer on, if you become a you know, Google Analytics customer, you know, to further enrich your ability to understand the data that's generated and apply the, the insights from that to ongoing campaigns, array of products that you're going to use. That's where you start to, you know, different agencies are going to have a point of view of that because some of them are going to offer their own solutions. There are competitive solutions out there. The team that I would have represented wouldn't have been selling the platforms. We would have been selling the execution and we would have been, again, I mentioned that 2X number of partners that we would have who would come in and say, okay, we think you should be adopting Google platforms on which to manage and serve your ads. So that's part of that kind of collaborative sales environment. And some of those are the double click, like the, the um, not, I don't wanna call them the legacy double click people, but that's the platform side of the house as it's evolved over time. And we would 
oftentimes sell in tandem, but not complete partnership because we would have different end goals as with, you know, and we were not necessarily even talking to the same person at the client, right? We might be talking to the agency. We might be talking to kind of IT-ish type person who serves marketing, whereas we would have been talking primarily to the marketer. Right, so you actually have multiple salespeople with the client, with big enterprise clients selling. With the largest enterprise clients, exactly. And and that creates opportunity and it creates challenge, right? So you want the you have to be crystal clear with the client so that they can understand. Okay, what does you know Brian do versus what does uh, Susan do versus what does Jake do? You do separate as well, I assume. Depending on the client, I might because of my role as industry. Okay, because I was a leader of a of an industry, and because almost in all cases ads is the number one buy already for most. They've all been doing ads at some level, whether it's lots or little. I might be, or a member of my team would kind of play the general contractor role. We would help facilitate meetings for other groups. We would then help bring it all back to the Google office and say, okay, where are we all each with what we're trying to do? Now, in healthcare, it grew to even greater dimensions because, for instance, Google Cloud created a HIPAA-compliant cloud solution for healthcare organizations. Now, the earlier challenges of data access, where marketing could look at other data in the organization to help it make uh, critical business decisions, could be overcome if the healthcare organization was a Google Cloud client and put all of their information into a data lake. You almost cross-sell from cloud then because of the... There was definitely a mutual self-interest in making sure that, you know, the cloud team got interest, that we introduced the cloud team or the cloud team would get an introduction from us. Google also introduced a, a health product area. It's almost like cloud is acting as a lead generator for advertising, which wouldn't... Uh, it's usually the other way around, Will. It's usually the other way around. But it could create greater opportunity coming out if that deal is made, you know, because the, the, the ability to query the data in a, a, a secure environment would create more actionable strategic data for the marketers and for us to work with the marketers on. How did you find the end client look at YouTube and the position, the brand advertising opportunities or display on, on YouTube? Yeah, again, if you look at the ad investment segmented by industry, healthcare would be very, very low. There's several reasons for that. Maybe I'll start with healthcare. Okay, so a very high level, I'm start with generalities for this conversation. Most marketers think of YouTube as a platform where younger consumers engage the content, right? It's all relative, but we'll say younger, we'll say maybe under 34, right? Under 40. Most healthcare organizations are looking for older consumers, right? Because older consumers are less healthy. Older consumers are buying insurance. Older consumers, you know. So there was automatically, whether it's right or wrong, this perception of the audience is not there. So that's, that was the first thing we had to overcome. Second thing we would have to overcome is related to healthcare. And every one of the industry segments that Google serves has had to overcome this at some level. It could be that, oh, okay, our audience is there, but there aren't as many there as television or you name the other platform. So first it was that. Second thing was, again, think about private. I mentioned privacy for data for healthcare providers. Second thing, their brands. 
Content on YouTube is the Wild West. And we know there were stories over the last two years about ads on YouTube appearing next to less than favorable content. And we don't have to rehash that, but there's a concept of, you know, I'm, um, I'm the Mayo Clinic. And I'm not speaking on behalf of the Mayo Clinic now. I'm just using them as an example. I'm the Mayo Clinic. I'm, I'm possibly the preeminent hospital brand in the United States, many parts of the world, right? My brand should only appear adjacent to the highest quality content. And when I think of YouTube, that is not what I think of. What is the issue on the, on the data structure or how can YouTube improve that? Uh... YouTube can deliver the answer to that. But your question, your question was, what's the advertiser perception, right? And so if you think about it, I'll get back to my C-suite, my, my job to drive the relationship at the C-suite. At some point, an executive is going to hear you're investing marketing dollars on YouTube? Isn't that, you know, rock videos? Isn't that, you know, extreme sports, you know, individual extreme sports fanatics? Isn't that, you know, cat videos? That's the advertiser perception. So, so a couple of things, like I said, brand safety, audience quality, audience segmentation, I would say are the primary objections. But you're exactly right, Will. When you get to the actual delivery of the message or deliver the ad capability, it can be targeted to only the highest quality content. So for instance, the Mayo Clinic, let's say they wanted to deliver, because they're not just about ads to get people to come for a hip replacement. That's, I mean, that's, they're, they're, and, and then frankly, they're, the, they're far more specialized than that uh, globally. But we could say that they're also healthcare organizations like the Mayo are also trying to become lifestyle managers, right? Teach you how to eat better teach you how to sleep better, teach you how to exercise better. Well, we could get that a Mayo diet ad or diet content in front of household managers on high quality sites where, you know, on, where they're seeing Better Homes and Gardens, Martha Stewart, real simple, you know, the types of content deliverers here in the United States that are, are high quality, high quality audience, high quality content. That can all be managed. But first, we would have had to overcome that initial perception of quality of audience, size of audience, and quality of content. Did that change in your time, like over the last few years, in the perception from advertisers on you? It definitely started to change. And, and it gets back to something I mentioned earlier. And this is kind of a sales tactic concept, Will, which is you got to f- work your way around an organization to find a champion. you got to find someone who gets it. And they're either just someone who gets it, or in many cases, they're the target audience. And they exist, the behave, they, they live the behavior we're trying to show. When people get older and the client, you know, as new people come in and they're that target market and, and the old guys kind of retire, you know. The new, the- right. That's what I used to say when I started 13 years ago and I started working on YouTube. I said, we need, we need a lot of people to retire. Okay, for this to work. Now, it's, it's happened faster than that because that whole generation hasn't retired yet. But that's why you have to change the, a couple of things, I think, Will, and I'm sorry to repeat myself a little bit here. But that's why if you, can, if you can understand the business objective and then you can actually show them a series of events where a YouTube ad in the right place leads to a click on your site, leads to a return visit on your site, leads to a branded search that arrives at the doctor and they become your, if you can show them that and show that that, and the margin for that cardiology patient on your end is so high that the investment that you made for that is, is just such a, a wildly efficient return on investment. You, you can win, but that's the, you, you need to be able to get to that level of detail with that senior executive to make that happen. I can tell you a quick anecdote. 
one of the larger for-profit systems in the United States. I was meeting with their executive team, and I don't have it sitting with me now, but I held up my phone, my mobile device, and I said, do you know that your patients are actually when they have something that is, you know, they have a health, a perceived health issue and they want to research it, they're searching for it on this device. They're clicking on something on this device potentially, or in best case, in, in another case, they might be going eventually over to their, to their laptop or to their tablet or whatever it is. And now they're, and they're showing up at your site. And so that you actually have to have a presence here. Chief medical officer, this is a, and I had data to prove it. I brought all the data, I just, much of the data I described to you. I showed him the data, and these are, he's the chief medical officer, Will. He's a scientist, data should work. And afterwards he said to me, I know we were sitting down for lunch, I know I should believe you, you showed me data, but since I don't behave that way, I can't support an investment in that. So, but in many organizations, I mentioned the Mayo Clinic, you know, they, they were coming around to this. Some of these, I'll tell you a, a, a phenomenon I was seeing, and I'm not sure if this, this is what you're looking for. In healthcare, the most progressive organizations right now, Will, and hospital systems and insurance uh, providers that I described, are to, to lead marketing, they're hiring people from out of category so that people come who have seen this succeed in other places and have enough self-confidence and enough, you know, enough self-confidence, we'll say, and enough stature to come into a healthcare organization and say, no, we have to move to this. I've seen how it works. It will be a growth driver for us. You know, they, and they don't have the biases and they haven't, they haven't kind of been damped down by the system for 20 years. How would you look at the targeting versus the likes of Facebook for YouTube? It's, 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 when I'm on YouTube, I seem like I don't get as great ads to the level of targeting. I mean, I'm curious to why that would be, given that Google is Google. Yeah, so I can't speak to your experience, but the same targeting that you see across the rest, most of the rest of Google's platforms should exist for you on YouTube. I see it. I'm a pretty active YouTube viewer for my own entertainment and actually information gathering purposes. So I do see things following me around. I shouldn't use that word, but I do see things targeting me that are very appropriate to my recent online behaviors and to my demo. I think Facebook, and if you, if you have a different experience with Facebook, Facebook is layering on some other sort of, I want to call them user ID logged in data points that might start to get to the edge of where Google is comfortable going. And by saying this, I'm not trying to say Facebook is doing anything illicit, but the, the types of things that you're doing on Facebook are different than what you're doing. And through Google, it's an engagement with content and it's a behavior. In Facebook, you're actually giving them more about you that they actually know. They actually know your age. They actually know your address. They actually know who your friends are. You know, there are certain other things that they can layer on. I think that that can be problematic in some cases when you get to healthcare marketing. It probably works fine for some of, for, you know, it, it's less a concern, less a concern, but still a concern for certain less regulated industries, CPG, travel, et cetera, and retail. Could Facebook be more powerful for, for healthcare customers? I think in some ways it can, in terms of creating communities for individuals who have similar conditions Absolutely. Like Google doesn't really have an offering for that. So there, there are certain capabilities that absolutely I believe Facebook is much more suited for. And that would be one of them. I also think, however, Facebook could potentially get closer to the third rail of that privacy risk or that brand perception risk 
by taking some of that information and making it available to advertisers. Can we take a step back, Brian, just look into the role of the agency and, and, and how, I mean, firstly, how have you seen the agency's role in, in digital advertising evolve from a Google standpoint and how, they, how their role is, is, is influencing the system? I'm going to uh, articulate this from Brian's standpoint and not Google's standpoint, okay? But as a person who worked for 13 years at Google, it is hard to separate the two, but I'm going to put it from Brian's standpoint. I always thought that agencies were in a really hard position, right? Because they, even 13 years ago when I started at Google, and I'd been an AOL before that, so I'd been in the digital ad space for a while and others before that. The agencies were a third party that was just getting pinched, right? As companies like Google developed more analytic capabilities, more understanding of consumer trends, agencies were losing some of their unique selling proposition. Like it used to be that the agency did the consumer research. It used to be that the agency created the consumer insight. It used to be that the agency knew everything about that and therefore they they drove the creative. And agencies were slow to adopt the technology. And as the technology companies like Google came along, they started to become more of the strategic partner than the agency. And the agency started to become more of the execution activation part of the equation. Now, some, you know, large holding companies started to build portfolios, including technology, creative, so that they could offer within their portfolio all of those things over time. But they, you know, many started from scratch or maybe started late. Where I see the most successful agency relationships right now, or I saw them with our clients, was where the agency was fully willing to sit with us as an equal partner. And we wanted them to succeed, right? We wanted, because we knew if if they had been selected by the client to be that person who makes decisions for them, if we could feed them information to be able to now bring insights they might not have been bringing in the past while not cutting us out of the insight conversation, that's a win-win-win, right? Because then the agency is seen as, as strategic. We're seen as strategic as the provider of that data and as one of the, uh, as the party able to, to crunch the large data. And we both can drive to better results. That's where I think it got really hard for them. Google's slightly disintermediating them, right, in the long run. I don't know if that's really fair. It could be perceived that way. What value can actually create then? Let's say five years, five, seven years out, what value do you see that agencies actually providing to? Okay, so I, I had the good fortune to sit in many meetings with Eric, not many meetings, but some small meetings with Eric Schmidt, who always said, don't, none of us are capable of thinking more than two years out, okay? Don't try. But here's what I think. I think that agencies have to be, the agencies that survive and the agencies that thrive will invite the Googles in to be their tech partner. Okay, they'll actually say, you're not a, you're not a vendor that among, the, and, and I think this is true of their relationship with Facebook. I think this is true of their relationship with Amazon. We invite you in to be our tech partner, and that will, and, and we invite you to be an equal partner in the relationship with the client, and not someone that we are vetting for the client and making media decisions for or against. I think that's what happens because that does not happen at, at, at scale, Will, across the board for a lot of clients. There is not this invitation for technology. I think that the agencies have to be open to that and then transparent with their client that that's the role they're now playing, that they are not vetting media, they are vetting technology because marketing and advertising is becoming a tech game. 
Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, let's take my position. So if I'm, if I'm a manufacturer or a hospital, I've had traditionally, you know, I bought TV ads through the agency. I have an agency, Holdco. I now want to experiment with Google and I move in 50, 60% of my dollars over to Google. Do I need the agency to operate my market, Google marketing platform for me? Or, you know, what role does the agency play in actually me allocating my dollars to? Sure. It's a, it's a, it's an excellent question. It's a, it's a large general question. I'm not picking on you when you say that, but here's the deal. The idea of bringing things in house is very, very real. It, It will happen because you're right. You may not need the agency. However, We talked about this with many of our clients, right? We said, you might want to consider going in-house, maybe when they were in an agency review process. It was like, okay, review different agencies, but you might want to think about bringing this in-house. But to bring this in-house, but you don't have the expertise to bring it in-house, okay? So maybe what you need to do is think about a bridge solution. You hire an agency for a year, and in that time, you start. We'll work with you to spec out what are the what are the roles and responsibilities and skills necessary to bring it in house, and what will that person then what will that department then do? But many don't want to employ that. You know, depending on the margin situation of the of the enterprise and the you know headcount view and budgeting process of the enterprise, they may not want to do that. However, to have an agency that they can essentially negotiate down to a very skin in the game relationship they might and that that is disposable after a year they might like that game instead so they have their their own business concern is there a case to say bring it in house hell yes or yes so the clients actually use the agency to use the google platform for them well they, that's the thing they the agency becomes their department that becomes their marketing department but they're paying a lot then though on non-working dollars right yeah you're right about that, but this is why the margins are getting crushed for the agencies because the agency desperately wants that client and they're willing to take next to nothing on, on some of next to nothing to keep the client. So it could be interesting then when, I mean, let's say that when, you know, all the old guys retire, young guys come in who are kind of more savvy around this stuff. It could work out cheaper for the advertiser to in-house that and then have actually more working dollars to allocate via Google or digital. There's a case to be made for that. Like I said, we asked people to consider that when they were undergoing agency reviews. Right. Look, is there anything else that we, maybe just looking out for the next, you know, next few years or anything that you would say that in terms of how the industry is going to evolve in, in Google offering their services to larger clients? Okay. So the, we're, we're, Large clients are still not taking full advantage of the machine. Everything about what Google has always done has always been machine learning. But let's you know, really get on board and understand that machine learning works, right? And you, and you can create other efficiencies, you're right. Get out of the optimization game and get into the strategy game, client. Let Google's machines do the work for you when you spend more time on the, or, or agency, spend more time on the strategy. Spend more time on a couple of years out. So adopt automation, adopt, learn that the machine is your friend. Everybody, the machine is not going away. The machine is your friend. I also think that I have no clear picture of what this looks like, but ad formats have to evolve to, I think this, you know, cliche internet of things. Okay. You know, the fact that we are, we're starting to gather data from everything we touch in our lives right now. And the fact that that creates more opportunities to understand consumer behavior and deliver messages to them creates far more opportunities for marketers than I think is being fully taken advantage of. So I think that advertising as we know it 
five years down the road, 10 years down the road, changes a lot or like crazy unimaginable formats come into um, existence, you know, around everything we touch every day. And I don't, some of those things are already starting to become real, but I, and I don't know what they all look like, but I, I just think that all of those data points can be used and deployed and they're not being that, that. And so how do we do that in more places with new formats or new modes of interaction?